Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. It's so good to be with you this morning, and I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping online. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Rick, and I have the honor and privilege of being the pastor here at Warehouse Church, and we are so excited to be gathered together. Let's give our worship team just a hand. Thank you to Michael and Angelia for worship, for leading us in worship, and um, I love this. My, uh, my um, iPad decided to do an update, so that's not good. Uh, might not be good. Anyway, uh, so uh, hey, it is uh, family uh, worship. And so we love to have our children with us and our students with us. We love to have, we call it one family under one roof in one service. And, uh, and so um, I say this every time we have family service, parents, don't worry about the wiggles and the jiggles. It's okay. Like, it'll be okay. We'll make it. It's just another, like, 30 minutes. We'll be good. And so don't worry about it. And uh, you don't have to threaten anyone. It'll, it'll, it'll all be okay. And so, but I want to invite the children to come on down, and uh, we're going to spend some time together. And, uh, and so uh, just come on and grab a seat up front here, and uh, it'll be good. And, uh, yeah, so grab a seat. Uh, I'm going to sit right there in the middle. So save me a seat, okay, because I'm trying to get through this whole um, update thing. <laughs> Good, okay. So can I sit right here next to y'all? Sweet, all right. So how is everybody? This isn't everyone. Where is everyone? So I don't see Alex. Where's Alex? Alex, come on down. Where's Sawyer? All right, there's Dino Boy. Sweet. All right, so um, hey, today we're going to talk a little bit about gifts. Yeah. Okay, go grab, grab a seat. There you go, right there. Sit down right there. Good job. So, um, so we're going to talk about gifts today. And how many of y'all have ever received an amazing, awesome gift? Anyone ever received an awesome, amazing gift? Yeah? So like a birthday gift? Was it a birthday gift or a Christmas gift? Yes. There's usually toys and presents at Christmas, yeah. So you got a gift? It's your birthday today. It's Jonah's birthday. You're five years old. Happy birthday, Jonah. So you got your five shirt on. I love it. That's awesome. Your mom's so cool. Like she does all that cool stuff. So um, wait, we're we're telling Jonah happy birthday. So let's all say happy birthday to Jonah. We won't sing it. We'll just say happy birthday on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. That's so cool. I hope you have a great day. So I brought one of my favorite gifts, the gifts that I uh, received. It was a gift that my mom gave me uh, uh, quite a few years ago, but it's my favorite gift. It is a Bible, but it's not just any Bible. So this Bible is special because it was my daddy's Bible. And so my daddy, um, uh, he passed away a long time ago. And so my mom gave me his Bible. And I love it. I don't use it a lot very uh, anymore because it's kind of falling apart. But you see these notes in here? Everybody see these little notes? Those were my dad's notes. And so I get to read what my dad thought about what God's word said. And so all throughout here, there's notes. And I love it. I love that he, that he wrote notes in here. And I get to remember those notes. So um, how about this? Have you ever given a gift? Has anyone ever given a gift? Anyone ever given a gift away? All right, tell me a gift that you gave. Well, I was at school. Okay, how do you tell? We'll get to you. Go ahead, Addie. Uh, I was at school once, and my friend made me a gift, so I wanted to get her a gift, so I made one with a drawing and a pencil, and so I didn't give it to her the next day later. That's awesome. So you made a drawing, and you gave it to her. That's a great gift. What about you? 
You make gifts to your friends at Christmas at school? That's so cool. Yeah. What about you? She gave you a brand new pair of house shoes? Sweet. Yes, Jonah, have you ever given a gift? What? You got new shoes because the other ones didn't fit you? That's cool. Yes. You gave her a what? You gave her makeup for Christmas. Your sister, that's awesome. You know, I gave a gift away too. I think the most, um, the most expensive gift I ever gave is on my wife's finger. And that was the most expensive, her wedding ring, that's right. And so that was the most expensive gift I gave. And in the Bible today, we're going to read a story. We're going to read a story about a young lady that gives Jesus the most expensive, hold on just a second, the most expensive gift ever. And she gave him this perfume that was so expensive. Have you ever given your mom's perfume? Anyone ever given your mom's perfume? All right, yeah. Have you ever given your dad's perfume? <laughs> no. That's right. They wear cologne, not perfume. So, uh, so Jesus, though, I thought that made me remember this. You know what the greatest gift that was ever given? Are you ready? I'm going to tell you the greatest gift that was ever given. It was Jesus. And we celebrate Jesus at Easter offering that gift to us. And what, what happens at Easter? Does anybody remember what happens around Easter? Easter bunny. The, the Easter eggs and Easter bunny, that happens, yep. So Christmas was when Jesus was born, and Easter, uh, we celebrate during Easter, we celebrate when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And we celebrate that, and it's called Resurrection Sunday. And there's a Bible verse that you might know. I want to share it with you. And we're going to say it together. I'm going to say it and you're going to repeat after me, okay? Here's the Bible verse. We're going to repeat it after me. You ready? Uh, Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the gift, or eternal life. That's the gift. That when we say yes to Jesus, that we get to spend forever with Jesus. And that's an amazing gift. Yes. You gave away a present. What did you give? You gave away some of your toys. All right, that's awesome. Well, let's pray. Say thank you, Jesus. So if y'all will put your hands together. Let's put our hands. Thank you. And, uh, and, and let's, you pray after me, okay? Let's do that again. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. And Jesus, thank you for the gift of life eternal. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you guys can go back to your seats. Thanks for hanging out with me. Appreciate it. (laughs) You never know. Never, never know. I love that. So uh, today, um, we are halfway through our journey through the book of Mark. And so we've been hanging out in the book of Mark together, and uh, and we've we've been looking at 
specific stories. We can't look at them all, but we've been looking at specific stories each week uh, that teach us something about who Jesus is. And so this week, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark, and, uh, and we've looked at some amazing accounts, and we looked at some hard passages, because there's, in the Bible, there's these passages that, that we, we get to, and we're like, man, I don't know what that means, and we've looked at some of those in the book of Mark, and, and, and Mark does this amazing job of giving us such a vivid picture of who Jesus is, right? Like he gives us this, this idea of Jesus always being a man on the move, a man of action, and he's always going from one story to the next. And I love that about Mark's gospel. I think that Mark's gospel is one of those, those books, like if you're wanting to get to know Jesus, this is a book that you can get to know who Jesus is. And if you remember the first part of Mark's gospel, so the first, like, uh, first eight chapters of the book of Mark, really focus on one question. Like Mark's goal is to answer this one question. The question is this, who is Jesus, right? That's the question that Mark wants to answer. That's what he wants his readers to know. He wants his readers to know who is this guy, Jesus. Like he wants to bring it to life too. He just doesn't want to tell us, but he wants to show us example after example of who Jesus is. And I think this is such an important question for us today to think about to think about who is Jesus. Like, if we can't answer that question, uh, we, we might be in trouble. Like, this is a question that we want to be able to answer for our children. This is a question that we want to be able to answer for ourselves. This is a question that we want to help our neighbors answer. Who is Jesus? I would even say that it is the most important question that you will ever have to answer. This question, who is Jesus? Have you thought about that before? Have you asked yourself the question, who is Jesus? Do you, have you come up with an answer to that question? You see, how you answer that one question can change everything in your life. That how you answer the question, who is Jesus, can transform your lives in so many ways. It can change the trajectory of where your life is headed. And Mark... Mark helps us answer this question accurately by both telling us who Jesus is, but also by showing us who Jesus is. And the very first book of Mark, or the very first verse of the book of Mark, he tells us point blank who Jesus is. In verse one of chapter one of the book of Mark, he says that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the son of God. Like Mark doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't use any flowery language. He doesn't make you guess. He tells you right off the bat. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. In other words, he's the promised one. He is the one that was promised in the Old Testament to come and to fulfill all of God's promises, that he was the Messiah. But not only was he Messiah, he was the son of God. And so Mark tells us, very plain language. Right off the bat, he says that he is the Son of God, but Mark doesn't stop there. He also shows us who Jesus is. He shows us the character of God through his life. And so he gives us story after action-packed story of Jesus healing people, of Jesus casting out demons, of Jesus teaching folks time and time again, and not just certain folks, but anyone that will listen. Mark shows us how Jesus creates a community 
of followers and believers and how he commissions this small inner circle to go out and to tell others who Jesus is. Mark shows us how Jesus' teachings divide people, right? Like that when Jesus teaches, there's people that get on board. There's people that are like, yes, that's what I'm about. But then there's also people that are in opposition of what Jesus teaches. But eventually, eventually the picture that becomes clear is that Jesus is God's suffering servant. That there's this theme woven through the book of Mark that Jesus is a suffering servant, the one that was promised long ago. He even says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says these words, he says, for even the son of man did not come to what? To be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let me just say this morning that if you're here and maybe you're checking out who Jesus is, if you're not sure who Jesus is, or maybe if you need a refresher course on who Jesus is, or maybe you're like, man, it's Easter and I want to I wanna be able to tell my neighbor who Jesus is, that I would just invite you to go back and to read the first half of the book of Mark because it is a livid uh, and vivid, it's a vivid and living picture of who Jesus is. And you will discover that as you read through the book of Mark that he was the promised Messiah, that he is God's son, that he has come to fulfill all of God's promises. But most of all, I think what you'll discover is that Jesus is amazing, that he is one of a kind, that there has never been anyone in history like him and there will never be anyone in history like him again, that he is not just a historical figure though, that he is the son of the living God. And in today's passage, Mark has a follow-up question for us. Like he's been answering the question who Jesus is, and now he has this follow-up question for his readers. And the follow-up question is equally important. And it's this question, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to who Jesus is. Because you see, he's told us. He's told us who Jesus is. He's painted a picture for us of who Jesus is. And now we must decide for ourselves how will we respond to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and so this morning, I want us to turn to another uh, story, another story in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles or the YouVersion Bible app, I would encourage you to uh, read along with me in Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at the first 11 verses together, and here is another, uh, another story, another uh, encounter that people have with Jesus, and it's so impactful. So I just invite you to read it along with me. It says, now the Passover... And the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away. So we're in Holy Week now. Remember, we talked about last week that Jesus did the triumphal entry, that everyone was waving palms. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, uh, and we talked about that. And then now we're in, uh, we're in the middle of Holy Week. We're in the middle of the week. 
And it says, now Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming. Everybody say scheming. That's important. They were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And while he, being Jesus, was in Bethany, because remember, he would go to Jerusalem during the day. He'd be there in the morning. Uh, He cursed the fig tree. Last week, we talked about him leaving and cursing the fig tree. And he would spend the day in Jerusalem teaching in the temple courts and being there. And then they would return back to Bethany where they were staying in the evening. And so it says, now, while he, Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her, the woman that did this harshly. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Everybody say that with me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that in the Bible that there's everything that we need, everything that we need to live the Christian life. There's everything that we need for salvation. And Father, my prayer this morning is that you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you'd unplug our ears. Lord, you'd soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for me today and what you have for my friends. God, may we hear it. May we see it, and Lord, may we apply it to our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So this passage that we just read, it begs us to answer the question, how will we respond to who Jesus is? And we find that Mark in this story, he really gives us two options. He gives you and I two options to how we will respond to who Jesus is. And the first option is this that I'm all in. That's the first option. It's the first option we have that when we get to know Jesus, when we, when we meet Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, when we figure out who Jesus is, the first option, the first response that we have is I'm all in. Like I'm all in to the Jesus way. I'm, I am all in. I'm 100% sold out. I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. And we see this in this passage this morning because in verses 3 through 9, It shows us a person who responds to Jesus with this I'm all in kind of attitude. She responds to Jesus with pure love and devotion. And so let me set the scene for you. Jesus, again, and the disciples, they're hanging out in this home in Bethany. 
And it's kind of like a dinner party's going on. It might be like a, like a community group or a small group or a life group. It's happening in Bethany and, and in the village where Jesus and his disciples are hanging out uh, after spending the day in Jerusalem, in the big city. And so they come and they're hanging out in this person's house. And, and it says that, that, um, that, that it's the house of Simon the leper. Interesting, right? Like it didn't just say they went to Simon's house says they went to Simon the leper's house. And so we can only assume, we don't know much about Simon from Mark's account, but we can only assume that he once had leprosy, that he's known now as Simon the leper. His house is known as Simon the leper's house. And uh, everyone knew that he had leprosy at one point or another. He wouldn't be in the community if he still had it. So we assume that he probably was healed at some point by Jesus that Jesus touched him and healed him of his skin disease. And it's quite possible that this may have been maybe even an appreciation dinner, right? Like, Jesus, you did so much for me. You healed me. You brought me back into my community. Because if you had leprosy, you were kicked out. Like, you weren't allowed in the community anymore. It was like you, were, you weren't allowed back in the holler until, until the leprosy was gone. And so, so they're, they're saying, they're like, Jesus, come on over. Like, I want to show you my appreciation for what you've done. And so maybe it's like a little appreciation dinner for what Jesus had done in his life. But I thought about, can you imagine what it would have been like to be there that night? Like, just to have just fun with Jesus, to hang out and to have a meal with him and to celebrate. Because in John's gospel of this account, it tells us some of the people that were there. And it says that Mary and Martha, the sisters, that they were hanging out with Jesus that night. It also says that their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, he was hanging out there that night too. I mean, can you imagine? Like people are probably going up to him, like touching him, like, are you really alive? Like, like maybe even smelling him. I heard you stinketh, because that's what the Bible says, that he stinketh much. And maybe they're like sniffing him, like, do you still smell? Like, like, like Lazarus was probably like a part of the conversation, but can you just imagine what it would have been like to be there and to sit around a table and to make jokes and, and laugh with Jesus and to, to have a meal with him and just to have a good time talking about life with Jesus and the disciples and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Simon, the leper. It had to have been an amazing night among friends. A night among people who had been transformed by Jesus. Like, can you imagine they're sitting at the table and they're like, Jesus, do you remember? You remember when, when you transformed my sister's life? Jesus, do you remember that moment after Lazarus was raised from the dead that my, my brother, he gave it, he started following you? Like before he didn't believe, but when he saw that, I mean, they're just having these conversations, these amazing conversations about how Jesus changed their lives. I would have loved to have been there that night. But that night, something remarkable happens. Like it, it wasn't enough just to be there and to, to hang out in the presence of Jesus and to reminisce about some of his miracles and the things that he did. But something else happens that night. In verse three, it says, while he was in Bethany, he's reclining at the table. So, so in, in those days, you didn't sit in chairs. You kind of reclined at the table. Uh, I kind of like that idea, like, but I'd probably fall asleep in my food if I was doing it. But, but they were reclining at the table. And, and at the home of Simon the leper. And it says a woman, and, and Mark doesn't give her a name. It says a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and she poured it over his head. 
And so this woman took out an alabaster flask, maybe like this one on the screen here in just a minute, that he took, uh, she took out a flask. And, and usually uh, this flask was used for really fine perfumes or ointments. Like you put only the best in these kind of flasks. And, and if you notice that the, the story tells us that this particular flask contained nard, which was in a very expensive plant from India. So it was expensive, expensive, expensive perfume. And, and the narrow neck of the flask, if you see, there's like that narrow neck, and, and it would have restricted the flow of nard so you didn't waste any, right? Like you didn't want to just pour it all out. And so they made it this way so that it would slowly come out of the flask. And, and so to bypass this, Mark says that she breaks the flask open. And she pours it, all of it, on Jesus' head. Like, she just didn't want to waste any time. Like, she didn't just want to say, oh, drip, 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 that's nice. She pours, she breaks the flask, and she pours the entire contents of this flask of expensive perfume all over Jesus' head. And verse 5 even tells us that it would have been worth about 300 denarii, which would have been about a year's wages for a laborer in that time. So about one denarii a day is what a laborer made. And this one was worth well over 300. And so I love this because the image here is this, that the woman's love was not calculated. Like she didn't just look at Jesus and say, hmm, I don't know about the things that you've done for me. You've done this, this, and this, so maybe you get five drops. Her love and her devotion to Jesus wasn't calculated, but rather it was extravagant. Like she held nothing back. She broke that flask open. She poured all of the contents over Jesus' head. And now you need to understand that, that even then, Jerusalem would have been a pretty smelly place. Because it was the Passover, the week of Passover, there's, over, there's tons of people crowding the city. Like people have come from everywhere. It's worse than Disney World at its worst day. Like there are just people everywhere, elbow to elbow. Uh, and, and, and it was quite a smelly experience because everyone was making sacrifices in the temple. Like they've come and they visit and they're making sacrifices in the temple. And so you would have smelled nothing but burning flesh in the air. That's what you would have smelt day in and day out. And that, 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 that's likely that that air would have drifted a mile and a half to Bethany, down the hillside of the Mount of Olives into Bethany. And it would have been pungent with the same smell of burning flesh. But all of that changed. All of that changed in a moment when this woman, this nameless woman, breaks open the jar and pours this very expensive perfume over Jesus. Now, you may be wondering, well, what in the world would did she, why would she do that? Why would, why would she pour this perfume over Jesus? And, and, and some say and believe that she was anointing Jesus. And we get that impression as we read Mark, but anointing was a weird thing because while it was common at feasts, it wouldn't have been this way. Like, it wouldn't have happened in the way that it happened. And, and this anointing was way too extravagant. Like, they would have taken a drop of oil or two and put it on Jesus' head if they were going to anoint him. But this was way more extravagant than that. Anointing was also uh, something that was done normally for kings or priests. And so nobody in the room is recognizing Jesus as one of those things yet. 
So that wouldn't have been the reason. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. That, that leaves one other, one other purpose for anointing. And the last purpose was this, that people were anointed for burial. They were anointed for burial. They didn't embalm the dead like we do today. Instead, they anointed the bodies with perfume and with spices as a sign of love and to cover the smell of decay. And even Jesus identifies that as the purpose. Because here's what he says in verse 8. He says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. So this woman did what she could. I had you say that because that's an important phrase. That she did what she could. And she anointed Jesus in an act of love and adoration. Jesus knew that his death was just around the corner. He knew that it was coming, that Friday, Good Friday, was coming quickly. And he interpreted her actions in light of his upcoming death and burial. And she responded to Jesus with extravagant and sacrificial love. And I love her response. I love how she recognizes who Jesus is. She had answered the question in her mind, who is Jesus? She knew who Jesus was. And the only way that she knew how to respond to Jesus with this act of extravagant and sacrificial love, that she takes this expensive, ridiculously expensive perfume and breaks it and covers Jesus in it. She understood who Jesus was, and she responds in worship right? When we come on Sunday morning, we worship. But my question to you is knowing who Jesus is, do you respond to him in worship with everything you got? Or are you responding in worship with like, man, I'm tired. It's a little hazy in here. It's kind of dark in here. I'm hungry. Like, how do we respond in worship to who Jesus is? Because this woman she responded with extravagant and sacrificial love. She didn't care what anyone else in the room thought. She would have been the one with her hands lifted high. She would have been the one running around. She would have been the one that was yelling and singing at the top of her lungs in worship today. She would have been the one that maybe you would have gone home and talked about. Can you believe that? Did you see that? Her hands were lifted high. She was running around. She was singing loud. Can you believe that? She responded with everything that she had, she was all in. She held nothing back. Because she had already answered the question in her mind of who Jesus was. And her response was, I'm all in. However, not everyone at the dinner party appreciated her actions. Some thought that it was wasteful and that she could have given the money to the poor uh, and listen to what Jesus said in response to that in verses 6 through 9. Jesus says, leave her alone. He's like, let her be. He says, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing. I think Jesus was looking at him and saying, she's done the right thing. And wherever the gospel is preached, Jesus said, her story will be told. And even today, we continue to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago, that wherever the gospel is preached, people will talk about this woman and her extravagant worship of me. Who is Jesus to you? How do you respond to him? Now, Jesus was not in any way putting down the significance of caring for the poor and don't send me nasty emails so we're not supposed to take care of the poor, Pastor. Taking care of the poor is important. It's important work for the believer. It's an essential part of who we are as followers of Jesus. But something happened in that moment that was out of the ordinary and it called for an extraordinary response. And this woman, she rose to the occasion. She recognized who she was, who was before her. She recognized who Jesus was, and she poured out everything in devotion to him. She was all in. So let me just ask you, how do you respond to Jesus? How about seeing him for who he is? How about becoming overwhelmed in your heart with gratitude for him? How about worshiping him, giving him everything that you have, not holding back? When you really see who Jesus is, there really is no other way to respond than giving him everything that you have. Now, everything that you have looks different from person to person. Angelia, she's going to be up here dancing away. And now she's given him everything that she has. And you might be like that. Or you might be like Alex over here. He's given him everything he has, but it's all that he's got. His everything that he has is not the same as everything over here. I'm not making fun of you. I'm not. I love it. I'm not making fun of you. But you got to understand that your everything looks different. So don't say, well, I'm not going to do that, so I must be a failure. Jesus says, no, I'm not interested in you being just like Angelia, or I'm not interested in you being just like Alex, but I just want you to give me everything that you've got. Everything. And that looks different for every person here. So sadly, though, not everyone responds this way. Not everyone says I'm all in. And as a matter of fact, in Mark's second option, which we wrap up with, is this, that there was opposition. Not everyone's all in. Not everyone says I'm all in with Jesus. Some people respond with opposition. And I love how Mark sandwiches this beautiful story of this woman giving everything that she's got. That she, she, He sandwiches it in between a response of two others, of the religious leaders and of Judas, and, and, and the religious leaders wanting to scheme and kill and Judas who is going to betray his savior. And so look at what Mark says in verses one and two. It says, now the Passover meal and the feast of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And so the, the religious folk, all right, the church, the religious folk are scheming to kill Jesus and they want to get it done quietly and quickly. 
Because Passover has happened and they're afraid if word gets out that the people will riot. So they want it to be done quickly and quietly. And then in verses 10 through 11, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this. And they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Jesus, one of his inner circle, even his response to Jesus is, I'm going to betray him. I'm going to hand him over. And that's a huge difference. I mean, talk about a huge difference between a woman who gives her all that she has, this act of extravagant love and selfless worship. And on the other hand, you have evil plotting and scheming going on by people who knew better. Listen, Judas knew better. The religious leaders knew better. And while the woman acts out of sacrificial love, the religious leaders act act out of self-interest wanting to destroy the one because they see him as a threat of their position. The woman acts out of humility and the religious folk demonstrate pride. She has a kingdom mindset and they're only interested in building their own little personal kingdoms. And as Mark often does, he shows the outsider, a woman who had no social standing as getting who Jesus is and shows the insiders, the religious folk, the ones that should know better having no clue. And Mark is being very intentional here. And he's telling us that there really is no middle ground. Either you're all in or you're all out. That's kind of the the message that Mark is sending us. You're either with Jesus or you're not. And Jesus says something very similar. In Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 through 16, he writes a letter to one of the seven churches. And in this letter, he wrote this. He wrote this. He wrote, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And so Mark, Mark has been building this, his case about who Jesus is chapter after chapter. And he's pressing the point now. He's pushing against the people. And he's saying, listen, How will you respond to Jesus? What will your response be to Jesus? Like, you know who Jesus is. Now, how will you respond? And that's the question I want us to leave here with today. Like, if you haven't answered that question, today's the day. How will you respond to Jesus? Listen, Easter is only two weeks away. We get to spend the next 14 days thinking about who Jesus is and thinking about how we will respond to him. And my hope is this, and I hope you'll hear me when I say this. My hope is that you will be overwhelmed, that you will be overwhelmed by the love and the grace and the majesty and the wonder of Jesus. That you will be so overwhelmed that out of that space that you will respond to Jesus just like the woman did with extravagant and sacrificial love. Listen, church, I don't want you to be like the religious leaders. I don't want you to be like Judas who missed out on who Jesus was. I want you to worship him. I want you to trust him. I want you to make Jesus your greatest treasure. Like this is the greatest physical gift that was ever given to me. But the greatest treasure in my life 
is my salvation in knowing that Jesus loves me. So I would ask you to live for him, right? Live for Jesus. You really only have two options. You are either all in for him or you're not. You're either hot for him or you're cold. There's no middle ground. And I think one of the greatest and simplest acts of love that you can do this Easter, like the simplest thing that you can do is invite. The simplest act of love that you can do, the most sacrificial thing that you can do today is to invite someone to Easter so that they can hear about who Jesus is. Will you think about that today? Will you think about inviting a friend, a family member, a coworker to come with you on Easter so that they also might hear who Jesus is and so they also might have an opportunity to respond to his great love for them? Listen, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. It's actually pretty simple. And if Jesus has had any impact on your life, nothing, and I mean nothing, would stop you from inviting others to experience him in their lives too. Nothing would stop you. As a matter of fact, I would just wanna invite you to do it right now. I'd invite you to pull out your phones right now. Just go ahead and pull them out. Maybe there's someone you've been thinking about inviting to Easter. I don't see phone. Everybody put your phone up in the air, so we'll make sure everybody's got their phones out. All right, put your phones up in the air. Now, I want you to pick someone that you've been thinking about. And I want you to say this. Hey, we're talking about Easter at church today. And I was wondering, do you and your family have plans for Easter this year? Just invite them right now. Like, don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll do it when I get home. You won't. Don't say, I'll do it at lunch. I'll do it next week. Do it right now. Just invite someone. Just pick someone. Pick them right now. Hey, I'm typing with you. Hey, there. Hey, there. Hey, there. Exclamation point. We're talking about Easter at church. Talking about Easter at church. I was wondering. Wondering, not wandering, wondering, okay? Wondering if your family had plans for Easter. I'd love for you to come with me. Not Easter's Rick, Easter. There's only one. I put Eater, Easter. I'd love for you to join me. Send. Do it now. If you did it, raise your phone. Raise your phone. Oh, come on, people. All right, that's good. It wasn't hard, was it? It's so easy. If you love, if you're all in and you love Jesus with all of your heart, you want others to experience that love with you. It's not time to be cold. It is time for us to be blazing hot. It's time for us to be the sweet aroma for the world, for Jesus. It's our time to give everything we got so that others might know him too. So I'm just gonna ask you one more time as we wrap up. How will you respond to Jesus? 
Are you all in? Or maybe you're like, I'm a little like Judas right now. What is your answer? What is your response? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this woman that had the courage to love you extravagantly, no matter what other people said. Lord, she, she did it in a way that was sacrificial. She did it in a way that was beautiful. She did it in a way that showed everyone else in the room that she knew who you were and she was all in. And Father, my prayer is for each and every person in this room that they would live their lives in such a way that they would express their love for you in sacrificial and extravagant ways. They wouldn't worry about what other people in the room thought. They wouldn't care what other people said. They would unashamedly and proudly and courageously and boldly worship you. Lord, may we worship you in that way right now. May we give you everything that we got. May we lift our voices to you. May we declare that we're all in as we sing our praises to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So church, here's your opportunity. We're going to invite you to stand up with us and sing. And let's show the people around us that we're all in. Again, you may worship in different ways. But let's give God all that we have. And as we worship, you're welcome to come and join us up here in the altar area. If you want to come and pray and spend time on your knees before the Lord, I invite you to do that. Come and spend time before the Lord. Maybe it's time to say, you know what, Lord, I've been playing. I've been lukewarm. I've been kind of cold. And I want to be blazing hot for you. And maybe it's just time to come and offer that to the Lord. Maybe you just come and just say, Lord, I want to be like woman that broke the perfume jar over your head. I want to be like that. Let's worship the Lord together.